What would it be like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? To see his week leading up to Easter? Well, you don't have to wonder anymore. Join us for our Stages of the Cross experience and see everything leading up to the cross. This is a free, interactive event and is the absolute best way to gain understanding of what happened each day all the way through Easter. Make this the most meaningful Easter you've ever had. Visit sagebrush.church events to see the full list of times per location and invite a friend to join you. Well, I want to welcome everybody here, everybody at our multi-sites. I also want to welcome everybody watching us on TV and on the stream. We're glad you're a part of the Sagebrush family. We are doing a big event called Stages of the Cross. Leads right up to Easter. We hope that you'll take advantage of it. Last year, we had to give tickets out because of COVID, but COVID has mysteriously vanished. And so now we don't have to worry about that anymore. So you don't have to get a ticket, but you do need to get on our website or you need to get on the app and find a time and a day that fits for you on your particular campus. I promise you, if you will take advantage of stages of the cross, this Easter will be more meaningful than anything else because you will walk with Jesus day by day during the last week of his life. And so I hope that you'll take advantage of that. I also want to give you an update about the M1 Capital Campaign. You guys have been so faithful. We have some more churches that have been fully funded. Livingstone, Zambia is now fully funded. And Condiga, Nicaragua is fully funded. As a matter of fact, so far, because of your generosity, we have already sent over $1.3 million to 40 different churches that are being built all around the world. Way to go, guys. That is phenomenal. And remember, when we go build these churches, we use indigenous people. That means people who didn't have a job in their country now have a job building uh, the church for these people in the community. So that's very important. We don't bring folks from other countries to do that. We support the local economy uh, that is there. And all that is because of you. One more thing I got to make mention of I'm pretty excited about. We are relaunching our Los Lunas campus so if you live in the Los Lunas area, we would love to have you come be a part. If you want to serve, help us with that launch, email us at hello at sagebrush.church and we'll find a good spot for you to help us relaunch that campus. Our Los Lunas campus was uh, closed due to COVID because we were in the high school. So I want to give a big shout out to Los Lunas High School and also the Blue High School. Both those principals were very uh, gr uh, helpful to us in relaunching the campus. And so we'll start again on Easter Sunday at 10.30. So if you live in that area, come check us out out there in Los Lunas. All right, let's get in to the message today. Years ago, I had the opportunity to lead a mission trip in Belize, and we were doing a soccer trip. Now, for those folks who live in Belize, soccer is football. In fact, in every other part of the world, soccer is football. Only in the United States of America do we change everybody else's sport into a completely different name. So to help you out, we're doing a soccer camp. And I got a bunch of young studs with me. I mean, athletic guys are going to show these kids how to play soccer. Well, before we can have the camp, we got to clear out the field. So we got machetes and we're clearing in the field out. We're going to mow the field, make it look really nice so the kids can come, learn drills, learn different techniques, and, and also learn about Jesus. Now, one of the things I know about young men is it's easy to goad them. 
It's easy to pit them against each other because young men like to show how strong they are or how fast they are. In fact, it's not even just young men. It's pretty much any man alive on the face of the earth. They always want to kind of prove themselves. And I have this gift. God has given me this gift. Some would call it manipulation. Some would call it goading. I call it the gift of encouragement where I can get people to do things they normally wouldn't do. For example, the last time I was in Belize, I had these three guys in my front room, and I said, hey, let's do a push-up competition. And before I knew it, I had a whole three of them doing push-ups. Bobby Church was with me on that particular trip. One of the things you know about Bobby Church is it's easy to goad him to do anything. He'll say yes to anything. Hey, Bob, why don't you jump off a bridge? He's all about it. You understand what I'm saying? So he's going to race a guy by the name of Mauricio. Mauricio is one of our staff members on our Belize campus. And Bobby Church, I said, I think Mauricio will beat you. Here's the race right there. I, I think that you'll find that Mauricio actually beat Baba Church. It was a sad day in Baba Church's life, to be honest with you. I have the ability to help people do things they normally wouldn't do. Well, we're out there, we're macheting everything, and Coconut Leo comes by. Now, Coconut Leo is an island uh, native. Uh, he's one of those guys that everybody knows, and for a small little fee, he'll climb one of the palm trees that are there, 30, 40 feet in the air. And so he comes by, and he begins to climb the tree, and as you can see, he just doesn't have any problem at all. He just starts climbing that tree. Look at that. He's even doing sit-ups as he climbs the tree. He'll get all the way to the top, and then look how he comes down. Not like a typical person. He comes down upside down. Well, I've got these two young studs that are there with me. And I said, you know what? You just saw Coconut Leo do it. And he looks to be about, I don't know, 115 years old. So we ought to see if you guys could do it. I wonder which one of you could go the highest on the tree. Well, neither one of them were very interested, but I continued with the pressure. I said, come on, man. One of you is better than the other one. Let's find out who it is. And then I got the rest of the team together. You could feel the peer pressure in the air. Well, it wasn't too long. One guy says, all right, I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll climb up. So he began to climb up, and he got about 10 feet off the ground, which was farther than I thought that he would. He got about 10 feet up off the ground, and then he just was stuck. He couldn't go any higher, and he didn't know how to get back down. He was like a cat in a tree just holding on for dear life. Had his legs crossed, had his arms crossed. Well, you know as well as I do, eventually he's going to run out of strength. And sure enough, he did, and he slid all the way down that tree. Now, one of the things you need to know about a palm tree is they're pretty prickly. And when he slid down the tree, he cut his legs up. He cut his arms up. Let's just put it this way. It wasn't a ton of blood, but if we'd have thrown him in the ocean, sharks would have come. All right? So I turned to the other guy as if to say, it's your turn. He looks at the other guy and said, you win. <laughs> I have a gift. I need to use it for good. You say, Todd, why do you tell me these long stories from time to time? Let me tell you why I told you this one. You need to be careful who you listen to. Because you never know that that person who you're listening to has your best interest at heart. And you know that to be true, don't you? Even when it comes from your pastor when he's goading you to climb up on a tree. How many times in your life have you had somebody say, I think you ought to try this, I think you ought to do that. When it comes to those two choices, you ought to go that direction. I think you ought to do it. You felt the peer pressure. So because you wanted to be along with the crowd, you did what other people wanted you to do. Let me ask you a question. How'd that work out for you? Or how many times in your life have you had voices in your own little head telling you which direction to go, what to do, where to go? How'd that work out for you as well? I'll tell you how it worked out for me. I've listened to other people tell me I ought to do this or I ought to do that, and I go ahead and I do it because I think that's going to please them. But I end up in a place that I never should have been. 
Or I have those situations where I tell myself what I ought to do. And that doesn't turn out too well also. I shouldn't be surprised because the Bible says that there's a way that seems right to a man. And in the end, it leads to death. What do we want more than anything else? We want to know that we're in the center of God's will. And I'm going to tell you today, believe it or not, you can be in the center of God's will. And I think that's your desire or you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be tuning in right now if you didn't really want to seek the very will of God for your life. So here's the question we got to ask ourselves. Why don't we have it? Why don't we ever have that peace that we know that we know that we know that we're right in the right place, right where God wants us to be? I'm going to give you several reasons for that. The first reason is because we play games with God's will. We play games with God's will. You ever, you ever done this with God? God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. God, if you'll show me a sign, then I'll know exactly what you want me to do. Have you ever played that game before? This is a rotary phone for you younger people that have never seen one before in your life. We used to have these in our homes. Isn't that the craziest thing? When you left the house, you didn't take the phone with you. Isn't that the craziest thing? So this is a rotary phone. And how you would use it is you would pick up the headset and then you would dial the numbers that you wanted to connect to the person on the telephone. Well, I'm a teenager, and I see a pretty girl, and somehow, some way, I get her phone number. I want to get to know her a little bit better, but I want to make certain that it's God's will that I talk to this girl. So what I did, this is before the days of caller ID when no one knew when you hung up on somebody else. What I would do is I would pray a little prayer before I would call the girl. I bet there's other guys that did this as well. I'd pray a little prayer, and I'd say, God, now if it's your will, have her answer the phone. And if it's not your will, like if it's mom or dad answer the phone, then I know it's not your will for me to talk to the girl. So I'd pray my prayer, I'd pick up the receiver, and I would begin to dial the number as quick as I could, and then I would let it ring. And if she answered the phone, I knew it was God's will for me to talk to her. And, I, and if the dad answered the phone, I knew it was God's will to hang up. That's what I knew right there. That's the way that worked. You ever play games with God's will? Hey, God, if it's your will, may the light at the next intersection be green. You ever play that? Or, or may the next light be red if you don't want me to do it. Has anybody ever played that before? Just put your hand up. Oh, several of us have done that. I'm not the only one. Okay, that's good. Have you ever found yourself manipulating the gas and the brake to get the answer that you want as you're going through the intersection? You ever prayed this one? Hey, Lord, if it's your will, tomorrow may it rain. Can you imagine if God answered every one of those prayers, how wiggity-whack our weather would be if he did that? And yet we think, if I can just have a sign. The other day I was driving around, I, I really wanted a donut. I said, Lord, if it's your will, let there be a spot right in front of the donut shop. And sure enough, the fifth time around, there was a spot that opened right up. So I knew it had to be God's will. Uh, some of you have told me in the past, when you moved from one place to another, you knew it was God's will because your house sold. Do you know how rare it is to have a house on the market for 20 years? All houses sell. My wife's a realtor. We had a jillion realtors here in our church. I can tell you this right now. Any realtor will tell you that. If you put your house on the market right now, it will sell. It will sell in less than 24 to 48 hours for much more than you're asking for that. That doesn't mean that it's God's will. But you see how we do this? God, if you do this then I'll know that this is your will, and then I'll do that. And yet there's not one place in the Bible that says that's how we discern what God's will is for our life. No wonder we're so confused. Let me, let me give you another one. We lean too much on our own understanding. 
We look at our situation from our perspective and we lay out the pros and the cons. You ever done that? You ever pulled a sheet of paper and says, it's a hard decision I need to make. I need to write out the pros and the cons. Because if it's, if it's all good, then I know that's what God wants because God's all about bigger and better, right? See, the problem for us today is we think God's will is the American dream. And it's not. We always think God's will is bigger and better. When many times God's will is more difficult, it's the road less traveled. I'm so thankful when we started this church that the original 120 that went with me to start this church, they didn't put a pros and cons sheet together. Because if they had of, they wouldn't have helped me start it. Let me explain. This was their option. See if you would have taken advantage of any of these things. You're going to leave a state-of-the-art worship facility at Hoffmantown Church on the other side of town. You're going to leave state-of-the-art kids' ministries where they have kids' rooms designed and decorated with chairs and great programming. And you're going to go across town to this new little church startup, and your kids are going to learn about Jesus sitting on the floors of a hallway elementary school. Would that be a pro or a con? I would think that would be a con. How about this one? You're going to leave a beautiful facility where the toilets are just the right height and the urinals are just the right height to go to an elementary school where everything's a squatty potty. Is that a pro or is that a con to you? How about this? You get to go to a church where everything's already set up. All you got to do is show up. Week after week after week, just to add water. You show up, praise the Lord, you do what you want to do, put your kids where they need to go. Everything is the way it needs to be. But that's not the way it was for us in the first eight and a half years of our church. After 10 months, we moved to LBJ Middle School. Here's us setting it up and tearing it down. We got there at 5 o'clock in the morning. Volunteers, team members who had a heart for Christ got there at 5 o'clock in the morning without complaining, without arguing, took a breakfast burrito that we provided, ate the breakfast burrito, and worked for the next two, three hours to set that thing up. And then at the end of the last service, we tore it all down and left about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Let me ask you something. It, it, would that be God's will for your life to go do that? I, I could only think of one pro as we put down the pro and cons, because everything was a con except for one thing. We knew this is what God wanted us to do. And I remember laying in bed at night next to my wife, and I said, you know what? I don't care if I'm a success or I'm a failure. I've got to be faithful. I've got to be faithful to what God's called me to do. And that's the reason that we went for it. Can you imagine if Jesus put a pro and con sheet together? He probably wouldn't have come, would he? Think about it. Uh, pro or con, leave the throne of heaven to be born in a smelly stable. I think that's a con. Leave the praise of angels to hear the cursing of men. I think that's a con. Leave a place where there is no sin to where you become sin. Leave a place where you're adored to where you'll be despised and you'll be rejected. Where they will spit on you and mock you and laugh at you and they will whip you. They will put a crown of thorns upon your head and nine inch nails in your hands and your feet. And for six hours one Friday, you will take on all the weight of all of mankind's sin. Is that a pro 
or is that a con? Oh, and by the way, when you take on all of mankind's sin, God the Father will turn his back on you and abandon you in your time of need. Can you imagine Jesus putting together a pro and con sheet? There was only one pro. The salvation of all mankind. For if we'll confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. You see, we get confused. We think that God's will is always bigger and better. But how often does that happen in Scripture? Most of the time, it's the narrow way. Most of the time, it's the painful way. Most of the time, it's the suffering way. Because God's molding us and shaping us to be something better than what we ever thought we could be. He's molding us and shaping us to be more like Jesus. That's what God's will is for our life. Let me, let me give you a third one. Third reason we don't understand God's will is because we pay attention to what we want to pay attention to. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, a little confession time. How many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket? Raise your hand up real high. Let me, let me see my speed racers. Man, there's a lot of you. <laughs> That's about everybody here, I tell you what. You probably had a sagebrush sticker on your car too, so thanks a lot for that. I tell you what, that's great. Years ago, Christy and I were driving to San Antonio, Texas. And we were going there because my friend's daughter was getting married and we wanted to be there and be in support of them. And so we were driving through Texas. We just had gotten out of the state of New Mexico. Do you ever see those state signs like you're now entering or you're now leaving that particular state? This is one of the signs that greets you when you enter into New Mexico. Isn't that, isn't that a great sign right there? That kind of summarizes New Mexico right there, doesn't it? So we're cruising out of New Mexico, and we get to the great state of Texas. Here's the sign for Texas right there. Isn't that beautiful? Welcome to Texas. Drive, drive friendly the Texas way. That's so nice. What a nice greeting. What a pretty sign that they have there as well. Well, we're just cruising around. One of the things is, is that in New Mexico, you can go 75 miles an hour on I-25. I think it was I-25. Maybe it was I-40. I don't know. I was going to San Antonio. Whichever highway I was on, I don't remember. Anyway, I'm cruising 75 miles an hour. And I have my, my cruise control on. So I'm going pretty good clip. And it drops down. Texas drops down to 70 miles an hour. Well, my wife turned to me. She said, listen, it's just dropped down five miles an hour. You ought to bring the cruise control down about five miles an hour as well. I said, Christy, we're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there's nobody around for hundreds of miles. I don't think the great state of Texas is going to have any problem with me keeping my cruise control where it was. Where you already know this is going, don't you? Because within two minutes after me making my grand proclamation, a state trooper from the great state of Texas pulled me over and uh, thankfully gave me a warning. I was going eight miles an hour over the speed limit. He was gracious to me, gave me grace. Now, here's the point of the whole story. I saw the signs. I heard my wife share with me her opinion about what I should do in my driving. You know what I did? Chose to ignore it all. I chose to ignore every sign that gave me the speed limit. I chose to ignore the conversation. I just did what I wanted to do. Do you know why many of us aren't living in the center of God's will? Because you don't want to. You ignore it. How do I know that? Because most of us don't read the Bible. I mean, ever. We come to church and you expect this one hour on the weekend to somehow satisfy you spiritually until the next weekend when we meet again. But the bottom line is, is you have a Bible. And in the Bible, you ready for this? This is going to blow you away. 98 to 99% of God's will for your life is already spelled out for you. 
And all you got to do is open it up and read it and obey it and apply it to your life. But see, we will ignore it. We'll ignore the word of God and then we'll say, I really want God's will for my life. I just don't know if I'm in the center of God's will. And God's like, read the book, man. It's already there in black and white. For example, some of you are here today and you're just ate up with resentment and bitterness and hatred towards somebody else. And you wonder, is it God's will for me to forgive them? Well, see what the Bible says. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How about this one? Should I tithe? Because I know a lot of you wrestle with that one. Should I really fund the kingdom of God and the message of God? I mean, do I really need to give 10% away? I mean, it seems like an awful lot of money right there. I wonder what God's will is. Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have room enough for it. Some of you are sitting here today. Some of you are watching me at home. You've asked Jesus Christ to come in your life, but you've never been baptized. You're not certain it's God's will for you to be baptized. After all, you were baptized as a baby. Of course you were baptized as a baby, probably brought up in a Catholic faith, right? Mom and dad dedicated you to the Lord. That's the way they did it was through baptism. You think that baptism is good enough. Here's the problem, friend. It's not found in Scripture. There's no place in, in the Scripture where someone gets baptized because someone else baptized them. Every person who gets baptized in Scripture knows that they're getting baptized, and it's the choice of the person getting baptized to get baptized, not the choice of somebody else. So you want to know, is it God's will? Is it God's will? Think about this. Think about how crazy this question is. Is it God's will that you stand for him? Do you see how ludicrous that is? Or is it, I just need to pray about whether I should get baptized. Seriously? You need to pray about being obedient? You need to pray about identifying with the burial and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Look at this. Matthew chapter 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So you know the truth. You see the signs. You've had the conversation. You just ignore it because you're the exception to the rule. How about this one? Should I give my life to Christ or should I go to hell? That's the option, right? Here's the real question. What does God want for you? Is it God's will that you perish is it God's will that you spend the rest of your eternity separated from him? Is that what God wants? Did God send his son to condemn you, to slam you, to hurt you? This is what the Bible says. The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. For this is God's will. How about this one? Should I store up for myself treasures on earth and be rich toward myself and poor towards God? Matthew 6, 19 says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Some of you are wondering, am I in love? Is this God's will? Is this relationship God's will? Are we loving towards each other? Just take the 1 Corinthians 13 test. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always perseveres, love never fails. How about this one? Is it God's will that I date someone who's not a Christian? No, the Bible says you cannot be yoked 
with someone tied together with someone who's not a believer because you don't have the same love, don't have the same loyalty, you don't have the same lifestyle. It's all written out there, you see. How about this one? Should I say something hurtful, uh, some hurtful words in this situation? Some of you have actually asked yourself that question. Should I just let it rip right now? That's what I want to know. Should I just drop a few F-bombs right here? I think I will. I'll tell you what. What's God's will? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, so it may benefit those who listen. How about this one? Should I sleep with, with this person even though we aren't married? Should I be touching something that I don't have? Some of you will get that on the ride home. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 3. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. The more you read the word of God, the more you understand the will of God. And the will of God isn't about what you're going to be doing five years from now. It's about what you're doing today. You want to be in the center of God's will five years from now? Do God's will today. Be obedient to God today. Be in the center of God's will today, and then tomorrow you'll be in the center of his will also. Because you're in the center of his will today. You're obeying him today. You're living your life for him today. And tomorrow, what did Jesus say? Well, don't even worry about that. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Today's the day to seek his face. But do we do that? See, there's a fourth reason why we don't know God's will for our lives, because we never ask what God wants for our life in the first place. How long has it been since you even prayed and asked God to tell him what his will is for your life, to give you direction and guidance in a certain situation or a certain circumstance? See, most of the time we just go on our own wisdom or what everybody else is talking to us. We never consult with God. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he ought to ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. James 4, 2 says, You do not have because you don't ask God. And there's a reason why we don't ask God. <laughs> because we believe that God's going to jack our life up. Right? The sinful mind is so warped. That we honestly believe that if we'll give certain areas of our life over to God that we've never been able to give over to him before, that somehow, someway, he will make those areas of our life worse than what we did. Our sinful, warped mind is so twisted that we honestly believe that God's holding out on us and that God can't be trusted with certain areas of our life. Isn't that the way it was in the beginning? Serpent had no problem at all convincing Adam and Eve to take the forbidden fruit. And how did he do it? He said, well, listen, he's holding out on you. The only reason God doesn't want you to eat from that particular tree is that you'll know the difference between good and evil. And you'll become just like God. And you can call your own shots. And they said, we can become like God. We can call our own shots. We can do our own thing. And isn't that the problem of mankind? That's all we've ever wanted to do. So God gives us his word and says, this is my will for your life. And we say, ah, don't need it. Don't buy into it. I'm the exception to the rule. That applies to everybody else except for me. I need to pray about it a little bit more. But we don't even do that. Because we've convinced ourselves that God's out to get us. And that God's going to make our life absolutely miserable if we give our life really over to him. God just simply can't be trusted. 
There was a young man, his name was Olin Hendricks. He really wanted to be a missionary to Africa. Problem was, is his wife didn't want to be a missionary to Africa. Well, he begged her and tried every manipulative tactic he could to get her to be convinced, but she just wouldn't budge. She wouldn't budge for a single second. So he continued to, to say to her, listen, I tell you what, you've never even been to Africa. How do you know if it's God's will for you to be in Africa or not? You ought to go on a vacation with me to Africa. We'll meet the preacher, people, we'll see the culture. I think you'll fall in love with it all. And I think you'll feel the presence of God and you will know that you know that you know that you need to go to Africa. Well, they went on a vacation, begrudgingly she did. And every day as they were going on their vacation, she got more and more frustrated. Everything, she was griping and moaning and complaining, nothing was working out. But Owen didn't give up hope. He really believed that God was going to get a hold of his wife somehow, some way. Going to twist her spirit into doing that which she didn't really want to do. He thought, if I could just get her to Victoria Falls. You ever seen Victoria Falls? It's gorgeous. Here's a video of the Victoria Falls. It is beautiful. It's breathtaking. He thought, if I could just get her to Victoria Falls, she'll see the beauty of God's majesty in Africa. She'll be so overwhelmed, and the Holy Spirit will convince her that she needs to move to Africa, even though she doesn't want to. He said, then if, if I stand her in front of the statue of David Livingston, greatest missionary to Africa that there's ever been, then somehow, someway, she'll be so convicted by the Holy Spirit that she'll want to go and move to Africa, even though she doesn't want to. Well, the day came, they got to the Victoria Falls, and it was breathtaking. It was beautiful. It was everything he hoped it would be. And then they stood in front of the statue of David Livingston. They sat there, silenced. Olin broke the silence. He said, what do you think David Livingston is thinking right now? And she looked at her husband and she said, I think he's thinking I've had it up to here with Africa. See, that's, that's the problem for a lot of us. We think that God's going to ship us off to Africa, right? If we really do what God wants for our life. He's going to make you marry somebody you don't want to marry. He's going to make you move someplace that you don't want to move because that's the kind of God that you worship. That's the kind of God that you serve. Can I tell you something? He's not going to send you to Africa if you don't want to go to Africa and then you mess up Africa. Do you understand what I'm saying? How do you know God's will for your life? It's really quite simple. You've got to get to the place in your life where you're so surrendered to him that all you want is what he wants. That's it. No magic formula, no pros and cons, no playing games. You get to the point in your life where you say, all I want is what you want. And whatever you want is what I want. And wherever you want me to go, that's where I want to go. And whatever you want me to say, that's what I want to say. And whatever you want me to give, that's what I want to give. Whatever, whenever, however, the answer is yes. When you get to that place in your life, you can live in God's will today. King David got there. Psalm 40, verse 8, he says, my God, I want to do what you want. So could it be the reason it's a little bit fuzzy is because we're still holding back areas? Could it be that it's a little bit fuzzy because there's certain parts of our life that we're refusing to surrender over to him? See, here's the interesting thing. You come to God and you say, listen, God, I want to know what your will is for my life, and then I'll think about it. Can I let you on a little secret? God's never going to reveal his will to you. Why would he? You're not in a position to think about it. God reveals his will to people who say, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do, no matter what, no matter how hard the road, no matter how narrow the path, even if nobody else comes with me. If that's where you're leading me, if that's where you're guiding me, one day at a time, well, I want what you want. Your will be done. Your kingdom come in my life in this place. 
Isn't that what we see in the life of Jesus? Just hours before Jesus will be crucified for the sins of all mankind, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying so intensely that sweat drops of blood are pouring down from his brow. What was the final words of his prayer? He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus wanted what God wanted for his life more than anything else. So the question for you and me, is that what we want? Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth in my life as it is in heaven. And you seek him one day at a time. One moment at a time. And listen to me. If you'll seek him, you'll find him. And when you find yourself in the center of his will today, because you're obedient to his word today, you don't have to worry about 5, 10, 15 years from now. He will lead you and he will guide you the direction he wants you to go. But you got to want what he wants. No holding back. Fully surrendered. Whatever you want, whatever you want to do, that's what I want to do. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we want bigger and better. We want richer, not poorer. We want comfort, not pain. We want ease. We don't want the hard road. We want what we want. And as a result, we're so very, very miserable. Because all the things that we want don't satisfy our soul. So give us wisdom to want what you want. To be in the center of your will. To be used by you any way you see fit. To leave this world in better shape than the way that we found it. Lord, at the end of the day, we don't want a life of materialism and stuff. We want a life of significance and purpose. So whatever we've been holding back, whatever area of our life that we're so afraid that you're going to make it worse than we've already made it, may we surrender it to you. May we open up your word and may we apply it to our life and may we live in the center of your good, pleasing, and perfect will. Lord, there are people here today and people at home who do not have a relationship with you. They want what they want, and they're miserable. I pray today, their eyes have been opened, that you're a good God. And that your ways and your path and your dreams to using our life is far greater and far more significant and far more fulfilling than anything we could ever come up with ourselves. Oh God, may we want what you want. God, I pray today would be the day of many people's salvation. That they would finally stop trying to run their life their way. And they would trust you to run their life from this day forward. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.